episode number one of Knockout Ginger. My first guest is Joe McKenna, bass player, composer, band leader, Hamiltonian, great person. We're going to talk about it. Hit me up at knockoutginger at gmail.com. If you have any comments, questions, concerns, hate mail, if you want to sponsor this shit show, let's do it. Thanks for listening. F all the haters. Welcome back to episode number two of the nation's favorite podcast. Uh, Sponsored by... Um... We'll fix it in post. Perfect. <laughs> um, we already, we've already talked about a lot. This is going to be a problem. I know. Anyway. I know. I was thinking that while we were talking <laughs> about it, that we should have just brought microphones yeah. to tacos. But. Well, that's the way it goes. That's okay. What was the last thing you listened to? Um, Esperanza Spalding's Emily's D Plus Revolution. Which I am obviously a few years late to the game, but into, very into. I listened to it like four times in a row. Uh, is Matt Stevens on that one? He is. Yeah. He's wonderful. Is that the one where she's sort of doing poetry also? See, that's what I thought it was. And every time I, like when it first came out, I read a review and the clip that they showed, it was like... You know, Esperanza's changed her name to Emily and she's doing this musical theater thing and it seemed like it was definitely out there compared mm-hmm. to her previous stuff. But it like, no. There's one song where there's kind of like a weird chanty poetry thing. And there's a couple moments where it's like musical theatery, but no, it's just an awesome record. And I was like, Yeah, I didn't listen to it soon enough. I saw her like I don't even know what year it would have been. The year before I moved to New York? Yeah. 2012, maybe? With who? It was some band at the Toronto Jazz Fest, and she was, like, sort of doing poetry. Hmm. And it was, like, a very... uh, Musically, it was a very entertaining show. Cool. It was sort of a thing that, like, the audience wasn't ready for or something, like, because the band would come down, and then she would, like, sort of start doing her poetry. And then, like, people would, like, start talking over her almost in, like, in that tent. It was a bit of an awkward thing, but, like, the band was killing. It was, like, it was a big band, actually. No way. Yeah. I didn't know she had a big band. I feel like after, was it Black Radio? She tried to, like, she started to go somewhere else. And I don't think people... Glasper Black Radio? No. She had... Does she have a record called Black Radio? She is a record... I think so. Maybe not. It's something like that. I don't know. Yeah, I can look it up. It was the record right before Emily's D+. I'm pretty sure. Huh. I had no idea she had a... Her and Glasper had the same name for a record. Yeah, well, now I'm clearly mixing them up. It's probably not true. We can find out. (laughs) We can find out. Yeah, I think I have a phone. 
But she got so popular and then wanted to do something different. And I don't think people are ever ready for that. Like, I, that's just such a hard move to make. The artist wants to do something new and people aren't listening. <laughs> and they're not into it, even though she's such a success. Like, like you said, they weren't ready to hear it. But looking back, I bet you it'll be great. And so many yeah. musicians are kind of like that. Yeah, I think that's true with a lot of things. But maybe not with... Uh, who knows? Who knows? I'm going to say maybe not with poetry. She has a record called Radio Music Society. Um, there you go. Close. I just mixed them up. That's what I meant, though. Yes. And the first track is called Black Gold. So That's a lot of thank you. A lot of similar words. Thank you for helping <laughs> justify my mistake. Um, uh, you had a tour coming up with your trio. I do. When, where, how do we find you? We thank you. We are uh, May 9th to May 16th. We're going starting in Perth, Ontario. He's very excited to have us. We're very excited to go. It's called Music at the Manor. That's May 9th. Then May 10th, we're playing the classic Options Lounge at Brook Street in Ottawa. May 11th, we are at Cafe Resonance with um, Luke Herman Group, who is a guitar player I met in Banff, who's from Montreal, which should be fun. And then... Uh, May 12th, we're at the Royal Theater in Gananoque, and no, May 14th, we're at the Royal <laughs> Theater in Gananoque, and May 16th, we close at the Loft Cinema in Coburg. Sorry. Eat the mic. Eat the mic. Um, and that's your trio with Mackenzie Reed and... Adrian Ferugia. The legendary Adrian Ferugia. The one and only. Yeah. Yeah, so we're stoked. We have a new set of music, and... Nice. How long have you been with that trio? Um, I guess just a year and a half now. I've been playing, like, I met Mackenzie in high school, so we played together um, for a long time when neither of us knew what we were doing. We continue to not know what we're doing, but we're better at pretending now. And I met Adrian at, played with him a bit on and off there. And then I left, and we took a couple of years off, and I came back and formed this group. So, yeah, about a year and a half. Nice. Um, Fun times. That's also where I met Adrian. What a place. What a place. Uh, lots of hacky sack. Lots of alcohol. Frisbee. Frisbee <laughs> was our thing. We played a lot of Frisbee. Uh, we have a very similar uh, career path is the wrong word. Because neither of us have careers. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we both went to. We, then we both went to. It's true. I'm going to. I'm going to bleep you. all of these school names out because I don't give a fuck. <laughs> 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 yep. True story. Um, I think I got an email from that one school asking for money, and I think I actually burst out loud laughing. Yeah. Like. Are you joking? Think about how much we gave them already. Yeah. And how much money do you think I'm making after going to your yeah. school? Like, like <laughs> what are you doing? 
like this it's a, it's incredible how like they trick you into like being part of their business like sure there's benefits to everyone like we learned it's a whole process being right. part of a community but you get tricked into being a part of their business and they assume that they can keep tricking you yes after being there for like however many years yep. like they think you're not smart enough to uh catch on to like the cluster fudge of <laughs> like the business side like I don't it's know. true it's maybe they have to have more faith in themselves as an educational facility and then like they'll realize that we'll, we're gonna notice like Re- within a couple weeks of being there we're like <laughs> yeah. oh wait this is a business yeah it's a giant corporation but yeah i don't know if we want to go down that path but what school isn't uh it's a great place to meet people yep it's in a great place maybe uh Paying that much money to meet people is maybe... It's quite an expensive dating app. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Holy shit. <laughs> I mean, I, I met a lot of my... Uh, I don't know. It's a good uh, It's a good business plan. <laughs> and we'll, we'll roll with it. Um, I think they... Um, Welcome back to the nation's favorite <laughs> podcast. <laughs> yeah, shit. We already talked about a lot. I have a question for you. Yeah? You said over tacos. If I know anything about this music, it's that we need to fight for it. Yeah. And I would just like you to talk about that more because that made me think about a lot of things and... I want to hear your opinion. I guess it depends where you where you come from and where you uh how you understand the lineage of jazz and improvised music, but I think there's definitely um definitely a lot of the people on my radar and the people that I um my heroes uh were definitely like going against the grain and like doing their own thing and there's like there's stories of like actual violence right when people sounded a certain way and i think that uh like first of all as a white person like there's nothing that none of this music belongs to me so i have to like there are a few things that i have to like totally uh, immerse myself there are, are things that I feel like I have to like uh, use as anchors we have to like keep the music moving forward and not be afraid to uh, like if we're not offending people offending people is maybe the wrong word again <laughs> but like then we're not doing it right and I think that we have to be like we just have to be, f- like, fearless when it comes to, like, um, putting our music out there. And we're lucky. Like, there's nothing, like, not much can go wrong for us. Like, a bad day playing music is like, okay, maybe you look a little silly. Right. Like, if you have a rough day. Yeah. But, it's- like, the people who came before us, like, it was a lot more serious of a situation. 
And I think not enough of us are fueled by uh, the stories of how serious their situations were. I think that's probably the best way to put it. Yeah. And we have to like, I mean, I don't want to hurt people. Right. But I also have to carry myself in a way that like, and it's really hard to keep this um, state of mind going, but like we have to, I have to think that I can change the world and everyone else also does. It doesn't work if, if we don't. And I think you can tell when someone's playing in a way that you can tell when someone doesn't believe for sure. Yep. You just have to be fearless because that's the only thing that it's almost the only thing we can relate to as middle class, upper middle class Canadians. I don't know. It's almost the only tangible thing because otherwise we're clueless. Does that make sense? It does make sense. A couple years before, or maybe around the time I moved to New York, someone got stabbed at, like, that's some shit. (laughs) That's some shit. (laughs) And I don't care what, I don't care what they were even fighting about. Like, it might have been about, they might have been drunk and, like, yelling about something silly outside that has nothing to do with anything, but, like, Think about the situations in your life where someone gets stabbed. Like there's not many. Like it's a it's a serious even if it's not about even if they weren't fighting over the music. That doesn't happen. It doesn't happen no. w- in our lives. Right. So it's like we just got to respect what's going on. <sighs> like white bands are weird. Uh, yeah. But like it's a whole slippery slope. It's a whole slippery slope. I yeah. Cuz where where do we fit in? Like as white middle class like Canadians, like upper middle class Canadians, do we have any right playing this music? Like I don't know. As a woman, do I have any right playing this music? Like, I ask myself these questions. Yes, I think learning the history is a huge part of being allowed to even come close to it. But I think I I understand what you're saying about being fearless and making an like impact and almost offending people to the point of just screaming like wake up or listen or look around yeah i don't know yeah it's a slippery like i don't want to even i mean there's so much that i don't even understand and will never understand it's very unusual here how it's like there are just so many bands of white dudes. Yep. And they're all, I mean, I'm in, a, I'm in a good amount of bands that are just white dudes, but there are certain things and ways that people play and approach the music that amplifies their whiteness and their cluelessness <laughs> and their privilege ignorance. and their yeah. ignorance towards the music. And that's the, 
that's the part that bothers me. Right. Like, I mean, we can't carry ourselves around thinking like we have to, like I hire people because they're killing, not because of the box that they check off. Right. And that's another slippery slope that who knows how we're supposed to handle it. Yes. But there are ways to like bring like an honest, somewhat informed approach that doesn't scream like I went to school, <laughs> you know? <laughs> <laughs> yes. And then also like I'm I'm part of the problem, definitely part of the problem. Like I haven't read all the books, I haven't talked to all the people, I haven't checked out all the records. Yep. It's part of what this is for. Like an excuse to talk to people and document and call out the bitches. (laughs) (laughs) You know who you are. (laughs) Drawing lines in the sand. Yeah, it's it's a reality check for sure. It can be hard to talk about. And just forces you to check in with yourself. Like, I don't know. Yeah, the Canadian scene is a bunch of people who are just sad they're not getting grants. Yo, like legitimately (laughs) though, it's funny. It's a funny place. I'm still trying to sort it out. Because I wasn't really in the scene before I left and went to New York. Yeah, me neither. So then I, I was not in the scene in New York, but I like... I watched the scene like yeah. I I was an audience member of that scene. And then so you start to learn what it looks like and what it means. And then I came back here. <laughs> <laughs> She's just a real different scene over here. Yeah. Not that there aren't great things about it. So many great things. So many great things. Um, some really, really amazing players. Yeah. Um, but there isn't that sense of fighting for it. There, like, yeah. Regardless of you know what box they check, people down there are playing like everything depends on it. So many people come from around the world just to be in that city, and if you have an excuse to play, people are playing like there is nothing after this note and that is hard to find here or it's not as common here i think is the biggest thing that i've noticed well i guess this is another slippery slope yeah, we're just gonna <laughs> offend everyone on this podcast hey. <laughs> 905 480 <laughs> To call me and I will fuck you up if you got to put no uh, I think there's also such a divide with I don't know I go to a lot of shows yep I go to see a lot of bands play and uh, rarely do I see people younger than me interesting unless it's like a really like I don't want to use the wrong words yeah. Unless it's like a really hipster jazz type. And I mean that in a very loving way. I'm not like shaming anyone, but like the classic like 
if I show up to the Rex or the Transac or the Emmett Ray, maybe the Emmett Ray more so, but there are, or less so rather, there are like uh, not a lot of students anywhere. Yeah, that's not good. And that's like, like the educational system is how this scene has that is developed, whether we like it or not, or whether we, uh, there's a point where this scene was propelled by the educational system. You're right. Like, I mean, maybe before the, 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 uh, the flame was like CBC. I don't know. The, or like the 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 actual like driver of the scene was like the fact that you could do studio work all day, right? But now the the driver seems to be or has been education and the student teacher relationship, and now it's rare for me to see students at a show. Like I see I see pe- uh, teachers professors post pictures of their ensembles on social media and i'm like who the fuck are these people okay i have seen that twice now and i was so rattled i was like why is this incredible dude like not not that your students probably don't sound great but what it doesn't even matter how they sound like yeah but right but like the fact that it's supposed to go the other way around (laughs) you've been in this like what is happening You've been here for a school year's worth of time, and I don't, I've never seen you before. Yeah. Maybe, maybe there's two separate scenes and I'm the one that's way out of touch, but like I'm pushing 30, so maybe I have no idea what's actually going on in the world, but. Harton, you probably go to the most shows of anyone I know. Like, I do not go out enough. Maybe second to Bill Smith. Bill Smith probably goes to see something every night. Legit. So much respect. Shout out to Bill Smith. Yeah, the backbone. Yeah, we, we all appreciate you. <laughs> what would we be without you, yeah, Bill? Yeah, where, where would we be without <laughs> Bill Smith? Um, but no, that is not okay. That, like, everyone's fighting for the same three venues to play and yet nobody goes out to listen and i'm totally guilty of it also but yeah you only go out to see your friends i don't even know which i'm more offended don't go out or only go to see your friends like what and it's like but also so to be fair i went to i went to the future machines tape release okay a couple weeks ago at the burdock sick Great venue. And there were a lot of people there, a lot of young people that I didn't know. Awesome. And a lot of people that I did know. Cool. And both were rare. Both were shocking. Right. Not shocking because I guess like the ultimate driver here is that like if you put out some thrilling music, people are going to come see you at the end of the day. I like to think that. The music wins. Uh, But like. It always wins. I just don't know, man. What is that? Are people lazy or are they broke or both or not interested or is nobody listening? Even the musicians. All of the above. That's terrifying. Speaking of, I've been slacking recently because 
my fucking Winnipeg Jets are ruining mm. my life. Playoffs aren't fun. I don't know mm. why people like this. <laughs> life is easy, so much easier when your team is just shit. Yeah. You don't have to worry about anything. <laughs> um, yeah, I got a gig tomorrow night and the Jets have game four. Oh my gosh. Um, so How are you I'm, even doing that? Time will tell. Where's your gig? <laughs> uh, I'm playing at uh, Winona Lodge with Josh Cole. We're playing duo bass. Where is Winona Lodge? It's on Bloor. I don't think I've ever been there. It's like roughly Bloor and Dufferin. Cool. Cool spot? I think. Yeah, it's super cool. Awesome. It's like a craft beer place. Yum. And the basement is, uh, well, I don't know what it is. Super but into that. <laughs> there's a like so it the, already. The bar is upstairs and the venue is downstairs. Cool kind of thing. Or I don't know if that's how it always is, but when there's music, it's downstairs. Nice. And keep uh, the riff raff in the basement. Every Tuesday is booked by a, a jazz improviser person. Cool. Mostly improvisers. Like it's there's not a lot of what the fuck. It's all the same. Jazz improviser. You don't have one without the other. Right. Um, but it's more on the. Uh, adventurous side of of the music uh i'm into that who are the people this week is karen ing she booked it okay and then the other three are furlong andrew furlong alex fournier and joe strutt awesome great lineup they all do a good job of like being uh backbones of the community they go to a lot of shows. They play a lot. Yeah, you just named some great people. The most unattractive quality of the uh, older people in a in a scene are the people who shame people for behaving the wrong way. True. So, uh, <laughs> we'll just go now. So, no, do, it's do true. whatever you want. Yeah, the last thing this music is supposed to do is to tell anyone what to do. Yeah. So we'll just get down. Fuck my life and everything I believe in. <laughs> Maybe that's the name of this podcast. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> Aggressive. Yeah, I need Fitting. A, I need a name for this pod. I don't know what it is yet. Okay. Uh, I was I was So yeah, we'll see. I don't want to use my name. No, don't do that. I hope you tweak my voice and change my name. <laughs> nope. <laughs> oh, boy. So what's coming up for you? <laughs> we have talked about a lot with the microphones off. I know. All right, it's fine. We're learning. Yeah. No, no more hangouts before the podcast. <laughs> true. Very true. <laughs> Very true. Did you get any jazz festivals? I got one. Nice. Which one? We're going to Medicine Hat. Jesus. Yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Correct. The home of Burton Cummings, <laughs> I think. Cool. Or no, Moose Jaw. He moved to Moose Jaw. Oh, Never damn mind. It. Party's over. Yeah. We're going to go to Calgary, play a gig at a cool artist run space called Neverland with no vowels. That seems to be a hip thing to oh, do man, these the days. Kids. Yeah. The kids. <laughs> Sounds like a very cool space yeah. though. Um yeah, and hopefully splitting the bill with Rebecca Burton, who I who is an awesome vocalist and 
composer from Calgary who I believe studied at U of T, maybe, and Calgary before and after. Um, and then we're going to go to Medicine Hat, and then we're going to come home. It's going to be great. Nice. Yeah. yeah. You're going away soon. Uh, yeah, I'm doing a Europe thing with the Dacon Phillips Collective, a band yeah. that I have with Allison Phillips. Great um, band. I haven't been there yet. Yeah. Um, I'm very cool. Excited for you to check out the scene for yeah. me. But we applied for some stuff and we didn't get it. Okay. Which is uh, classic Canada, or is it Amsterdam stuff? Oh, and Amsterdam. Uh, oh. Well, Rotterdam. We applied for a thing and we didn't get it. Okay. I applied for all of the uh, relatively near festivals this summer, as I have for the last however many years Mm -hmm. and uh once again nothing curse you (laughs) (laughs) but whatever it's gonna be fine it's fine you all made a mistake though the day phillips collective is awesome we made what did you say the festivals all made a mistake oh it'd be kind of cool to play with someone and like all of these people from that came up from a very different scene. Yeah. Like, I don't I don't know that I've ever played from someone with Europe. I had a jam with a great bass player from Europe, but two basses playing together is... Fucking nightmare. Yeah, it's great. And I just keep doing that. I keep putting myself in that situation. <laughs> it's great. It's great. It's so fun. <laughs> and when did you start playing bass? Uh, electric bass in when i in grade seven so were you like 13 years old Mm -hmm. and then i started playing upright in high school because my high school had one so 16 or something 15 16 nice when did you start uh bass yeah well what was your first instrument started playing guitar in seventh grade thought i saw a picture of you over there with hair and a guitar yeah Eh. yeah the glory days (laughs) Started playing guitar in grade seven. What did you just say? That's 13? I think so. So somewhere around there. And then uh, I kind of started like vaguely playing electric bass in bands. Cool. Later on in high school. Because nobody wants to play the bass. So you're like, okay, I'll do it. But still just like basically being a guitar player, like not really knowing. It's just lower. Right. Low guitar. <laughs> That's all um, it is. And then uh, something possessed me to take 12th grade music. And it just all, it's been downhill ever since. Yeah. <laughs> the beginning of the end. Yeah. I had a really crazy, crazy, crazy music program in high school and uh, a very accomplished musician uh, left. So there was like a big bass hole. Uh-oh. So I had no idea what I was doing, but I had to learn very quickly. So it was like, it was a pretty good scenario for me. Actually, that's very similar to me. There was a bass player who was great and was known at the high school for being a great bass player. And he he was still at the school, but 
I don't know, couldn't take music. He's a dentist now. So like there's probably Fucking some idiot. Yeah. There's probably some science course <laughs> that like was happening at He's the same time of music. Yeah. But uh but yeah, quick learning curve. They asked if I would do it and it was really great or really terrible, but here we are. Yeah. I was actually to pass to throw back to the Adrian Fruger conversation. I tell people that he both well depending on your perspective he either made my life better or fucking destroyed it (laughs) (laughs) yes in second year i was like pretty close to like not playing music anymore wow and then i had his ensemble and he totally like changed my life uh i joke it's like definitely for the better (laughs) no he totally straightened me out and like a good chunk of my belief system sort of comes from him when it comes to like playing music i can definitely say the same thing i feel like yeah he was the beginning there was just a big turning point when i took his ensemble Mm -hmm. so thank you or fuck you adrian (laughs) (laughs) yeah look at us now adrian (laughs) We're doing a podcast in my mom's basement. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, man. That's amazing. I feel like everybody goes through those super rough times in schools, but... Oh, but it doesn't end in school, like... No, it doesn't, but I don't know that I've... I don't know that I've ever had a moment where I seriously, seriously am thinking about not doing music. I'll have moments of, like, fuck this. A nine to five would be so much easier. I could just do whatever. Make money. Like, the consistency, I like, no stress. I don't have to hate myself. Like, it would be great. But I don't know that I've ever actually believed that. But did you, you said in, in first year you were really considering quitting? Yeah, I was mostly in second year. Okay. Well, I guess summer going into second year such a mess playing for the wrong reasons not doing what i want just all the things all the things just stressed worried playing for the wrong reasons that's a huge one hearing other people and like god um, being jealous and intimidated by other people's playing just not the way school is the worst for that they yeah it just sets you up to do that i was definitely very depressed my first few months in new york yeah it's crazy but i mean the nice thing about me going through that was that by the time i got to new york i was like over it that's cool so i never really i mean obviously you can't avoid it like sometimes you see someone playing a gig and you're like fuck yep why am i not on that one but it's like you like as you the longer you do this you kind of like figure out that there's room for everyone and we're all going to be fine. And like, there's a saying about, about the water rising and all the ships going up, whatever it is. (laughs) That's the one. (laughs) A rising tide lifts all ships. I'm into that. I believe is the, is how the poet would say it. (laughs) (laughs) Nailed Uh, it. I think you nailed it. But like that whole, 
I guess it kind of goes back to like how we started this podcast with like the idea of like believing in it and fighting for it and like trying to figure shit out and not worry about the consequences. Yep. And just like playing and enjoying yourself, but also like when the time comes, like also go for blood. There's a time and a place to like try and run your your peers and your best pals off the bandstand. That's like a total relevant part of the music, I think. Yeah. It's not what drives me, but (laughs) there's definitely like a time and a place for like battle jazz, I think. I don't know. Peter Brotzman talks about it a lot. I've been like, I've been deep in on him lately. I'm reading his book and uh, listening to him and um, playing a lot of his music. Or not a lot of it. One specific record. Um, Have you heard Machine Gun? Yes. Like, before I was ready to hear it. I need to... That's been happening to me a lot recently. (laughs) I feel like I listen to something that I've heard or was shown before or was told to listen to. Too much of that happens in music school. Holy fuck. That's that's why I moved away. Years of therapy (laughs) right there that I'm still working through. It's just being told who was great and who I need to listen to and who is the baddest. And like, it's ridiculous. Yeah. It's so, it just messes you up. Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. Still to this day, there are people that I cannot listen to and bands and records that I won't listen to because of how far they were like, how far teachers emphasize them them and like fucked me with these records. Yeah, (laughs) that's, yeah, it's true. And yeah, they've ruined those records. It's like so my like greatest moments and the concepts that I've learned the most are the ones that I have discovered myself and not by any means saying I discovered something new but by me doing something or shedding or listening and noticing something and figuring it out and discovering a new thing whatever it is that sticks with me so much more than anyone ever just telling me to do something or to listen to something or explaining a concept and I think a great teacher or a great mentor knows how to point you in the right direction so that you make the discovery yourself but there is too much of like shoving shit down your throat that you don't actually you can't like listen to any of it yeah and then you come out and you've it's just you're just all messed up mm-hmm. there's a lot to get over i we, guess it shows how much we care about this shit battling through it but uh say what you will about professor Uh-oh. <laughs> uh oh. uh we uh i had a class with him and he handed out this pamphlet someone who had gone to Berkeley made this checklist of like things that they wish that they knew when they started school or or something to that degree. And one of the points was uh, this person said that they wish they knew that um, no one was going to teach them anything and everything that they were going to 
learn and use was stuff that they figured out on their own. Yep. And that was a that was a major like turning point for me in my like I was late to the party, so I was probably like twenty or twenty one. Probably twenty when this happened. No, truer words were never spoken. Like that this just nonsense of people telling you what's good and then you start having these fake conversations and you start pretending like you've heard shit that you haven't heard and you know stuff and it's just bullshit you just create this massive world of bullshit (laughs) and you don't realize it until you leave and you look back at this giant pile of shit that you just walked away from and yeah it takes years to get that smell off like it yeah but working through it you learn so much working through it yeah the battle thing that peter brosman talks about oh yeah that's what you're talking about peter brosman says every time that he plays it's a battle and i guess it sounds like that sort of too like that machine gun record like i was saying we we played it pat smith like basically transcribed it Whoa. and we played it um at winona last month and uh it was like one of the most extreme experiences of my entire life whoa and there were definitely moments where it felt like we were just trying to like fight each other fight each other yeah and it was so loud and so fucking crazy it's another one of those learning moments of like clarity almost this is why uh this is why we can do what we do because other these this is how other people before us approach the music even though they're white europeans they're still like they're still like mad about shit when was the last time you heard machine gun i i'm pretty sure i was told to listen to it in school hmm and I listened to it and I didn't get it and it was bullshit homework. <laughs> so I have not listened to it since. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh it was recorded in sixty eight and now in two thousand and nineteen it, it still sounds like it's still like paralyzing. That's incredible. Yeah. Like that that speaks so much to the music. Like what music does that that was like when the the newest coltrane record was released it was swing that i haven't heard which one like the new old one uh both directions at at once yeah 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 i just couldn't get over how hip it sounded so crazy it could like like we've heard that stuff before even like those Right. And it still sounds amazing. Like yeah. it's still like a shocking it fresh new thing. It floored me. And like I I've always been like a uh I'm a pretty dedicated Jimmy Garrison. Yep. Uh Church of Jimmy. <laughs> for sure, but like and I'm just like such a fan of these Coltrane bands and stuff, but I didn't realize how like starved I was for new Jimmy Garrison. Like this never happens. Like when do we get a yeah, new Jimmy Garrison of record? Of course. Like, I feel like since I started playing music, there's been, like, at least five or six unreleased Coltrane things that come out periodically. Okay. But, like, a record where you can hear him that well. 
Yep. Just like made my life. It's crazy. Uh, who are your Who are your favorite bass players? When I started, I was a big Ray Brown bass player. I thought that he was the the bass players of all bass players, and I still love Ray. He has such a nice sound, and I was a big Oscar Peterson trio fan. Um, I went through a big Charlie Hayden phase. I love his music. I loved watching his interviews and reading his interviews. He just seemed like a very cool dude. There are a couple Dave Holland records that I really love. I don't know who my favorite bass player is at this very moment. Who is your... Okay, let's do this. Who is your... Uh-oh. Who is your Mount Rushmore <laughs> of bass players? I don't know. Are you Church of Jimmy? Is he your Mount Rushmore? Well, there's four on Mount Rushmore, right? There's four people on Mount Rushmore. You want the four heads? Who are my four? Okay. Well, yeah, it would be Ray Brown and Charlie Hayden for sure. Peter Washington might be up there for me. Yeah. I'm pretty unfamiliar with him. Aside yeah. From, aside from hearing him uh, at Mesro. Right. I got a, to hear him a, a lot at Mesro too. I don't know much about what he's done. He's pretty great. Yeah. The man can swing. He can. And I stole his right hand from him. Like I made him. It's crazy. He never plays with two fingers. And he can play like killing fast in the pocket, like eighth note lines. And he's always playing with one finger. It's magical watching him he do it. He crosses them? Yeah, and he swings one way and he solos another way. Like he crosses his index finger underneath when he's sw- when he's walking and then he puts it over top and uses his middle finger when he's soloing because he's like, they should be two different sounds. What do you mean? Huh. It just blew my Interesting. mind. Yeah. That's crazy. I've yeah. never heard that before. It's wild. And I started to do it. Like I, I, I don't switch when I'm soloing, but I, I walk like that. And I, I just always play w- with my fingers crossed and I only use my, don't you cross fingers? No. No. I don't know why I thought that. You use your, I feel like you use your middle finger more though. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't cross them. You don't cross them. Um, Middle finger is like the solo finger for sure. Interesting. But I, uh, like I can't play fast with just one. Right. So I definitely, I don't like, I don't isolate my fingers. Right. But, um, generally I lead with my middle finger. And if I'm playing like a slower passage, I'm just middle finger. Interesting. And when I'm walking, I play. With both my, uh, Bob Cranch, I used to say meet to meet. Ah. Uh, not, not stacked, but like. Yes. Just you, beside each other, not twisted. Meet to meet. That's so funny. No, I get that. There's, 
literally more weight to it yeah. when you use both fingers. That's what I found crossing it. And then I just committed to doing it for a while when I was studying with him. I thought I'm because you first try it and you're like, this is the most whack. Um, and now it's how I play. It just gives weight more weight mm-hmm. it's i find especially when i'm walking i love it do you tuck your pinky and your ring finger in i do that was a conscious decision also but i don't remember when or why i feel like it might have been with pat collins get them out of the way or something but he doesn't do no, it doesn't so do that it. doesn't make sense to me <laughs> he was like do it but i'm not gonna um but yeah it's kind of crazy changing something like that. Yeah, definitely. You feel like it's so weird, but I'm very happy with. Yeah, I like. I basically learned by, uh, or I took my. Uh, I I had a pretty unusual, or I still have a pretty unusual setup. Like my base is ginormous. Right. And like, I've noticed that. having a couple. Uh people a couple teachers try to teach me how to play it properly it like almost doesn't work right so like early on i tried to uh i just saw pictures of and videos of ben allison playing and he's mm. got a pretty huge bass also he does he's a pretty like, he's a really tall guy yeah, he's also much taller than me yeah but he kind of does this thing where he like angles the bass away from him he does and puts his legs around it you did you ride your base (laughs) and crosses his fingers so there was a a while like and i think i still do i don't do it right now because i'm playing like a very tiny bass you're playing your david gage right yeah yeah but when i play a full-size instrument my right leg still like comes over the front of the instrument a lot so weird but there's that element of like learning from pictures and you kind of mm. don't realize what works for you and what doesn't work for you until you're bumped in the right direction. Yep. Yeah, I thought I remembered that. I think Mingus goes on my Mount Rushmore. Yeah. Those Peter guys. Washington, Mingus, Ray right. Brown, Charlie, Charlie Hayden. Hayden. I'm happy with that. Yeah. That's a pretty diverse wall. Yeah, I'm into it. I'm into it though. I they kind of all had phases in my life. Peter Washington more as like a mentor than someone that I sat and really dug into all of his records because he's not. I don't think he is a band leader. Um, Like I don't know that he has. I could probably only name one band that he plays in, and it's the Bill Charlap thing. Oh. But what a good trio. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I love That's like all I know. I love that record. Yeah, well, he played with um, oh my, Art Blakey. That was how he started. He Peter was, Washington did? Yeah. Wow, I thought he would be like way too young for that. No, I'm pretty sure now I'm scared that I'm wrong, <laughs> but I'm quite sure that he was a. Uh, that's we'll, how he we'll started. Fix it in post. Yeah, perfect. But yeah, as a, as a mentor, he made a big impact on me okay your mount rushmore go (sighs) (laughs) i feel Uh, like you got me hip to charlie hayden actually weren't you a big charlie hayden fan yeah yeah and i've uh 
kind of almost stopped listening to him. I haven't listened to him in a long time. Um, There was a point where right when he died, I got really sad about it. Mm. And I kind of stopped. And I haven't totally gotten back into it yet. He's probably on my Mount Rushmore. Yep. Let me think about this for a second before I lock it down on tape. Yeah, legit. I'm going to slowly fact check me (laughs) myself while you're... Uh, Reggie Workman. Yes. Beautiful man. I don't know where I would be without him. Uh, I still think about things that he has said to me. Like when I... Nearly every time I pick up my bass, I think about him. Wow. Um, Reggie. Jimmy Garrison. Yep. Scott LaFaro. Okay. Charlie Hayden. I think. Solid four. I feel like there's maybe someone I'm forgetting. Charlie, Jimmy, Reggie, Scott. E. What? Scotty. Scotty. (laughs) Yo, I was right. What? Peter Washington. Played with. Yeah. Arplicky. And moved to New York. That's how he started. Huh. What rec- is he on records or was he just just uh, like a a band um, member? Yeah, I feel like I don't totally trust what Google is come is showing me right now. But cuz he's not he's not that old. How old is Peter Washington? I don't know that he's 60 yet. Like he was late. I don't know. I will do more research and find out. All right. Also, for the longest time, side note, uh, someone along the way told me that Peter and Kenny Washington were brothers. (laughs) And I just... Accepted that? Yeah, I was like, yeah, they're brothers. That's fine. They play in the same band and they have the same last name. Right, of course they're brothers. Of course they're related. It makes sense. (laughs) I know. It's very confusing, actually, when, yeah, that they're not brothers. But they sure do sound good together. Yes, they do. Yeah, that's a killing trio. Uh, can you make sure that Mount Rushmore is four people? Oh. <laughs> We're such Canadians. But yes, I can do that. Four faces. Ben Franklin, George Washington. Oh, don't ask me that. Yo, keep going. I see them. You're, you're right. Uh, Theodore Roosevelt? Yep. And, uh, I don't know. I don't know the four. Lincoln. Link. Oh, that was my, that was going to be the guess. Okay. Uh. Is it in like Nebraska or something? South Dakota. Oh. I don't even really know where that is, to be honest. It's like right south of North Dakota. My American geography (laughs) is not good. Uh. South Dakota is under North Dakota, and North Dakota is, into that. is under Manitoba. Okay, thank you. Who did you study with first? In New York. Anywhere. Who were your first teachers? Um, Clark Johnston was my very first teacher in high school, and then Pat Collins. So that's quite the uh, starting point. Yes, I was very fortunate to have some pretty awesome 
mentors from the beginning. Um, yeah, and then in New York, I studied with David Wong for a long time. Talk about technique. That guy fixed me. I used to get the worst back pain when I played, and he just, like, perfected it. The first, well, no, it's not perfect, but the first few lessons were, like, aerobics classes, and we just fixed it. Now I don't get back pain. Um, and then bass players, I studied with uh, Ben Williams, who was also great. He was great when you asked him questions. You had to you had to have a lot of questions. But I feel like that's kind of expected of you in a yeah. in a lesson. Like that's your job. You don't just show up and they just tell you what to do. Like the best part of being a musician. Well, I'm not going to say that, but a really great part of being a musician is the fact that we have these mentors, these people that have literally changed my life. Yeah. This one-on-one relationship that used to be how everybody learned anything. Um, and that still exists in music and that I'm super grateful for. But you have a responsibility as a student. And I think that is lost on a lot of people in our generation in any field. They think you just show up and that, you know, it's the teacher's job to teach you. And that Mm -hmm. if you haven't learned, it's the teacher's fault. And that is just the most absurd thing I've ever heard. Yeah, I think maybe that's why I don't like lessons. Mm. I don't have a lot of questions. Would you ever teach? No. Yeah. No, 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 no. (laughs) (laughs) I think maybe teaching once I have a career right is a thing like if if somehow in some universe I I have a like someone sees that I have a unique thing that they want to try and steal from me I think that that's that would be like a cool opportunity to teach right but to be a part of the system that we've just shat all over for the past 45 minutes no way I'd rather dig holes yeah (laughs) Uh, no but yeah i get that because if someone approaches you it presents itself that opportunity to be a mentor like it's not about teaching somebody how to play the bass it's yeah youtube go go on youtube man yeah like (laughs) if that's what you but it yeah every time i'm curious about something i just i think that's this is why i have poor relationships with my teachers maybe I don't exactly have a a long list of mentors. But you do. You have... Do I, though? I thought you named a few, but maybe not. Reggie, Adrian. Yeah, but like... I don't know. What the the fuck's a mentor? Yeah, well, that's a... (laughs) So I guess those are people who have... I definitely have a long list of people you. who have like said things to me and like that have stuck like that have carried such weight that it like the trajectory of my life changes. Right. But like that, that strong, like student teacher, student mentor relationship is not really something that I have. Fair. 
I feel like you would be a great mentor, though. Oh. oh. It's a good no, to, I think it's a good you, way for me to ruin some lives. I don't. I don't think so. I disagree. <laughs> I mean, someone's just gonna have to take one for the team and try it out, so we find out. But no, because I think it goes back to what we were saying. Like, I don't think you would ever give somebody a an answer or shove anything down anyone's throat. Like you would force people to ask questions. Like I feel like when I hang out with you, I go home thinking about things and we're just buds hanging out because you think of and have very interesting and different perspectives. And but far too extreme, I think. There's this part But does of- it matter if you know that? I don't know. Like, it's not like you're, and it's not like you're pushing your view, right? You're just, I don't know. Maybe we need, like, we need people like you to balance the scales out a little bit. I don't know. It's a problem, I think. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. I question my, I question my every waking moment of life. That's amazing. But, more people need to ask. See, more but also look where I am. Podcast number two, mom's basement, Burlington, Ontario. No visa, no Yo. job, no gigs. No gigs. You have a gig next week. You're going yeah, to Europe like, in a month. Solo record. Like, um, what are you talking about? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I guess that's like. I guess it's easier to get dark. Sometimes you need people to, like, wake you up. I'm super lucky. But, like... I think the fact that you go through life questioning your every move is exactly why you would make a great mentor. Too many people pretend to know what they're doing. We all have no fucking idea. And people need to ask more questions and listen. No one's listening. Yeah, listening is a huge problem. No one's listening. That's going to stick with me. No one. No one. Doesn't (laughs) Doesn't matter matter. who we're offending right now because no one is listening. No, doesn't matter. To anything. But like my life is a reflection of how I see the world. Totally. Like I don't know. uh, I don't know why people do things. Therefore, I do none of them. I just don't participate. I need to... I need to meet someone now and I need to marry that person. I need to buy a house and I need to have this job so I can buy some stupid shit yep. and then and have some kids and then have a house and like grow up and like just like it's a like a cycle of there are people that like graduate high school and then start that. try to figure out how to retire. Yep. So they can do what? You know, be happy when they retire at 60 or whatever. But are they? They sit down, they don't know what to do with themselves because they never learned or asked questions. And now, like, that's just a dark, trippy path that I hope you're very proud of not being a part of. (laughs) (laughs) But, like, I have nothing, almost. So, and I'm probably going to have no money for most of my life 
I'll be shocked if I ever own a house. I want to drive my 2005 Honda CRV into the ground. But you don't want the opposite of all those things. So who cares? But like stability would be great. Yep. But also I'm only 30. So like. Totally. It's better than like being 30 and having three kids and a job. Yeah, when you step back and look at it, like what you just said, it just seems like there's, like everyone's just a puppet, a zombie walking, like going through this, going through the motions of life and... Perfect. We need a fart mic. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. What I'm trying to get at is the idea of making money and making music and how they don't go together but how they can't not go together and how I feel like I find myself thinking about that a lot and do you separate it like I know so many people who are so proud of the fact that they're making a living off of music which is to one extent amazing like they're like I teach a bunch and I perform and I whatever make websites for musicians and I do musicians taxes and what like whatever that's not living off music though teaching and yeah doing all that shit yeah like just performing you say is living off music yeah yes yeah yeah agreed yeah um (laughs) agreed and and I don't I just think it's a really funny claim to fame. Like, why are you so proud of that? Because I don't think that it's helping your music at all. But at the same time, to not have money, like, or to do something completely separate to make money to survive so that you can make music doesn't work either. I don't really know what I'm trying to say, but Um. it's on my mind. Yeah, I feel like a lot of the people who are living off music, and when I say living off music, I mean literally gigging to live. Right. Not like teaching, and I mean a lot of people teach. Right, but gigging or making records or, yeah. I mean, I don't know if, is there a person right now that is living just off music? I mean, I'm, and I'm also saying that, like, I, I realize that there are, like, famous people who are only gigging, but, like... But I feel like, you, yeah, even the famous people are probably, like, doing commercials or giving workshops or teaching or they're, you know, taking pictures in somebody's shirt or, like... Yeah. And not, the, at, I mean, at that point, they probably don't need it for the money, but... But like my, I guess my point was before I got distracted by a flaw in my statement. Generally, the people who are grinding it out as like the gigging musician is also doing nothing of note. This is kind of exactly my point. And I'm not saying that I'm doing anything of note. And who am I to to diminish someone else's notoriety? And also, usually it's a person who's 
is like making money off of something that they don't know anything about. So it's like young white man and doesn't know where the music comes from. The music doesn't belong to him, but he's playing fucking three weddings a week. Right. Yeah, and I mean, no, who, like, I don't think either of us are diminishing anybody's way of life. Like, I don't have three weddings a week. Like, do your thing to each their own. But, yeah, kind of exactly what you said. Like, if you're living gig to gig, it's paycheck to paycheck. Like, I guess that's just not how I want to do it. That's my point. Yeah. And I mean, before my thought train fell off the rails, (laughs) (laughs) we're both just kind of crashing here. But like, I, I sort of meant like, that's usually the person that doesn't participate in the scene. Uh, like it's a very specific person, like plays all the weddings. Yeah. Has never been to someone else's show. Yep. In 10 years. Hasn't yeah. listened to a new record since fucking 1991. Right. Like, what part of you is a is a musician? That's just... You might as well. There's more... There's far more lucrative ways to live a confusing life. <laughs> yeah. But what is the best way? Like... I mean, if you're happy, you're happy. But... Totally. But my point is, get out of the way. Yeah, I feel like I've just been thinking about that a lot. Like, I don't want to hustle to play those gigs to make money to validate what I do. That is what I wanted to talk about a while ago. (laughs) I finally remembered validation. We'll get there. But if we can't... Because even if you... Playing as a sideman to make money, I think, like, I totally want to do it to an extent. I don't want it to be my career. I don't want to have to live from gig to gig on a slow month, be nervous, like, whatever, tour season, be happy. Like, that's not how I want to live my life. But I also don't want to get a job completely unrelated to music that takes up too much of my time that also doesn't help being a musician and I also don't want to apply for grants and then do like this is what I'm thinking about now I'm out of school I live in my mom's attic my mom and dad I live in their attic and with my dog and I could get a job so that I could move out but then I would just be living from paycheck to paycheck. Like, that's not what I want to do. And I don't want to move out just so I can tell people that I don't live at home. Like, that that, that doesn't bother me. But I want to make really great music. And it's hard to do that and survive in this society. Like, it's not... I don't know how to do it. <laughs> do you separate the two? Because when you mix... When you mix it, it affects your music. You're writing... I feel like you don't have this problem. But, like, it's hard. I think somewhere deep down, when you write something or you play something, you want people to like it. Even if money's not an issue, this will get into my validation thing. Because we always have to... 
I find it sometimes very tiring to try to validate what we do. You meet someone new and you tell them that you're a musician and you there are just so many musicians and like it that just doesn't even begin to describe what we do because it's not just a job and sometimes you get people who are super into it very rarely you get people who you know if you're talking to someone in the scene it's totally different but a lot of the times you get people who just like blow it off or sometimes I get people who are so uncomfortable with the idea that they become uncomfortable and it's just like the worst I just want to leave like why am I talking to you you think everything I do is stupid and you know I feel like I'm very privileged in what I'd be doing like it it, I don't know it's just a big spiral spiral. (laughs) I'm ranting (laughs) I I often if someone if someone I don't know like if I'm just at somewhere and I'm meeting new people and they like ask me what I do or whatever. Sometimes I say nothing. Sometimes I just shut her down right there. Yes. What do you do? Uh, uh, you know, I can tell when that, who knows, maybe like, maybe I've met the wrong person or like, and I don't want it to sound like I blow people off, but I just like seriously underplay or down. Under- yeah. Yeah. You're good. I'm going to play the, uh, what I do because I just don't want to get into that. Like, Oh, so what do you do? Yeah. Can't you, can't you just like, can't you just get an orchestra gig? Yeah. Or people start to ask questions. They just have no idea what they're talking about. And it's not like, yeah, I'm not trying to sound arrogant or it, it can be, it's just frustrating to we fight so hard for what we do and we can get blown off so easily by someone who doesn't understand and who doesn't want to understand. And it's hard to wake up every day and have to validate your life in society. And you realize that so many people don't have to do that. (laughs) They wake up and they have this job and... There's other ways that they seek validation though yes and it doesn't mean that everyone is happy but yeah i just yeah i feel like i need to find a scapegoat like that that's a huge part of my life now that like well there's nothing for me here also the other side of that is uh i'm just gonna be quoting other podcasts for the rest of my life sick but Joe Rogan has said this more than once uh, how he doesn't understand like how the how the non-comedian can live their life and not know what it's like to kill a room and it totally applies to us too to like, kill a room is a good thing like yeah yeah like to just be killing yeah and just like slaughter your audience and they're just like in tears crying yeah and like that's the same thing with us. Like totally. we are way more, even though we have to like, there's de- there's that element of like validation from the lay person. I mean, and lay people, that's also the wrong word. Cause like, as soon as we start thinking we're above our audience, that's like the beginning of that's the, the end. beginning of the end. Maybe the person who is like oblivious to how much you 
pour into your craft is a better way to say it. We seek validation from them still, but it's still not as, as validating as just like playing the best gig of your life. And what makes it the best gig? I uh, just know. I know. And it's like an unattainable, undescribable. Incredible feeling. Incredible feeling that even if you like, you can't even acknowledge it. Like it's, it's got to be just off in the distance in your like in the peripherals of your imagination almost. Cause you, like, I think it's the opposite. You're in it. Yeah. That you, you can't see how big it is. And like, as soon as you acknowledge the beast, it goes away kind of like you have to, it can be hard to stay in it. Yeah. You have to like keep it at a distance almost. Yep. And when it happens, it happens. You can't look for it. Uh, going into a gig with high hopes is like a death sentence. Right. Like being too excited and too, maybe too rehearsed and too like in your head and too worried about validation and too worried about impressing the right people and yeah. like... You uh, can't have any of that shit. getting down with the cats. Yep. You're screwed. It's... Like it's you're so screwed. You're fucked. No one will ever know what that is. Right. When when I say no one, I mean the person who doesn't understand the lives the lives that we've decided to like carve out for ourselves. Yeah. That aspect, that mental aspect of performance, like of any type of performing arts, you know, I think teaches us so much as musicians like that's where that's like scratches the surface on where you you know you can't separate the musician from the person and not that the only thing that I have is music like in a way yes but um that's because through learning music and immersing myself in this improvising art I've learned way more about myself than I could in than I'd like I don't know what I would be without it like it's it's just helped me discover so much and that aspect of it that part that makes you question everything that makes you wake up and you know maybe we're not supposed to be totally validated in society because then maybe we would stop fighting and that would be the beginning of the end it's such an important thing the search and the fight or whatever i don't want to like overstate or like make it too dramatic but like i'm fine i'm not fighting for anything right right it's all our imaginations but like it's very true the battle of of music and like art and like looking for that like the 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 thing that you're chasing is so great that like even when you have like a devast even when I have a devastating gig I still wake up and touch my base before I walk out of my room the next morning like it's such a like how do you even explain that to someone else right some people will just never know Yeah. 
and we know, but also, uh, once our parents die, we're going to be homeless. So that's the life that we've chosen for ourselves. Very true. <laughs> very, very true. I've got a tent on reserve. Yeah. So it's all like a matter of balance. Yeah, and I think there are people who work jobs that are, you know, more accepted in society, but they ask, they still ask questions and they stay curious and stay hungry and are passionate about what they do. I think it's just this going along with this. You can do something that maybe society welcomes more than they do artists but still be fighting for something. Uh, gas station attendant. <laughs> I don't know what I'm trying to say, but... Bank person. I guess I just don't <laughs> want to come off that, like... Everyone, like, the thing... We sound like these high... High foot and whatever fancy pants... Yeah, artists. from your mom's basement by but, ourselves. <laughs> like we're but, yeah, but like the the point is like everyone is like enlightened in their own way or whatever, unless you're not, and that's your. <laughs> but like okay. there are other ways to be uh, energized and connected and yes, balanced and whatever than what we're doing. Like we're not the be all end all of. Yes, I think that's uh, exactly what I was trying to say that person that has none of these things is very hard to connect with. Right. And as I get older, I find myself having to connect with those people more and more, more. And more often. And, he, and sometimes even it's like another musician. Yep. That's just like a more of a hobbyist than a, a lifer. And I still just like can't even connect they have no idea what really can go on with this like weird relationship that we have people are weird yeah and it's horrifying yeah oh yeah but on that note i had this discussion with two people recently uh one bass player and one saxophone player so it's not a totally biased conversation okay but uh, I don't know. I can't think of a bass player that I've ever met that I don't like. <laughs> and, and I'm pretty sure, like, I can't think of a bass player that I've met that I don't want to be buds with. I mean, I there are bass players that I like more than others. Oh, certainly. Right. But, like, but bass players that I couldn't, like, talk to and have a real... I'm sure there's someone out there that I'm forgetting about, but, like, I can't... Yeah. Like the first people that came to my mind were some younger people. But I th I, th I think that's more of a just not actually knowing them. But no, have I met a bass player that I don't like? I think I have. Yeah. But names. No. Mount Rushmore of bassists you don't <laughs> like. <laughs> but I feel like the person that I'm thinking of I don't think plays the bass anymore. So that tells you all you need to know. Yeah. Real bass players, 
No. A bass player who's trying to do this, actually trying to do this, no, there's not one I don't like, which is crazy to actually think about that. It's so crazy. Like, you What know, did the saxophone player, he felt the same way? Yeah, it was a, a she. She felt the same yeah. way. Yeah. That was very yeah. rude of me. <laughs> <laughs> You're part of the problem. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> Uh, but uh, same conversation. Do you know saxophone players that you don't like? Oh, yeah. right? Yeah. I, I, just like thinking like big picture, the amount of people that I don't like and none of them are bass players. <laughs> like that's crazy. That's so funny. We're good people. Or not. And we're just like all the most confused, oblivious group of people. Everybody that, just like, feels sorry for us and no one can hate us. That could be it. Oh, poor We're all soul. just sad. We want to be part of the team, so we be nice to each We're other. We're like the mascot. Yeah, it's an interesting role. I feel like I was attracted to the bass because it was so big that I could hide behind it at the back of the stage. But part of me still wanted to be on stage, you know? Yeah, totally. I just wanted to be part of the team. Yeah. And uh, I liked the guitar a lot, but right. I, I could be part of more teams if I played the bass. <laughs> well, yeah, that's the thing. Everybody wants a bass player on their team. And I feel like we have this ability to make, like, there were some, a, a few people said that about Charlie Hayden. Like, he made me sound so good. And that resonated with me so hard. I thought I would love to be able to do that for people. Like, I want to pick up this instrument and play with someone, and I want to make you sound incredible. Because how amazing is that? Yeah. Like, you know, and we can do something together. It's a thing that uh, not a lot of people will ever get to experience. Very few people. Also, that idea of, like... uh everyone needs a bass player bass players always have gigs false these are lies false <laughs> it's incredible how every fucking band almost okay almost every band has a bass player there's yeah. so many killing bands that don't have bass players that i'm like really into right now sick side note but so many bands have bass players and uh how few gigs that i have yeah, they it's tell just... you that because they're like, why else would you pick this giant fucking <laughs> instrument that's bigger than you that is so annoying to travel with? We'll tell you that there are tons of gigs. Just decide to play it and, and you'll get all the gigs. Hey, have you ever been on a sweet canoe trip where you have to like portage between like past the rapids or something? <laughs> this is like that, but with less cool parts. <laughs> Just, just do this around your neighborhood. It's great. You'll enjoy it. Yeah. There's gigs. Yeah. Lies. I'm trying to figure out a way to end this. Mm. It's tricky when you don't have a name. <laughs>